1: and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable, ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Shudder, the premium streaming video service from AMC Networks, and with the largest, fastest-growing selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural content in the world. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little bit more about Shudder and a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, go ahead and lock your doors and double-check beneath your bed. You never know what might come crawling out while I've got you... distracted. <laughs> Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie. In tonight's episode, I'll be performing five stories for you, all of which deal with the dark side of Disney, detailing everything from perilous packs and dastardly disguises to frightening footage and abandoned atrocities. Fortunately, of course... Tonight's stories are totally fictional, and Disney would never do anything to hurt you. After all, their parks are the happiest places on Earth. Right? (laughs) You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of author Derek Walker, about what happens when tragedy strikes one of the Disney's busiest theme park rides, and this time it's too big to cover up. Without further ado, I present to you the Disneyland Suicide Pact. I'm writing this down to A, help me process what happened, and B, create some sort of written record. I'm a Disneyland employee, have been for five years. I started running concession stand moved to ride operator, then into resort operations. All the while, I was pursuing a degree in psychology with intentions to become a psychiatrist someday. After I graduated, I continued working at Disneyland while I applied to grad school. To my surprise, Disney offered me a job, something that would allow me to work in my field, kind of, and stay in the park. Job title, Mental Health Assistant. I've been in this role for exactly a week. I haven't been fired yet, but let's just say I'm expecting a call. Let me back up a bit. Deaths in Disneyland are rarely reported on, courtesy of the sophisticated PR team of a $168 billion company. Suicides anywhere are also rarely reported on. That shouldn't surprise anyone. So what do you think happens when there's a suicide inside a Disney park? It doesn't happen. Not to the outside world, anyway. Families of victims, innocent bystanders, or anyone else affected by suicides inside the park generally go away with generous cash offers and thick non-disclosure agreements. A disturbing online community has developed over the past year, a group that encourages its members to kill themselves in Disneyland. It's called the Disneyland Suicide Pact, or DSP for short. Their stated purpose is to serve as a metaphor to illustrate the stark contrast between the happiest place on Earth and the utter horror and darkness of suicide, a metaphor that people who are happy on the outside can be dead inside, for some, a callback to when they were last happy. I think their actual purpose is to terrorize innocent people, to forever pervert happy childhood memories, for the handful of people who happen to see the aftermath of suicide before staff cleans up. The suicides have become more frequent in recent months, leading Disney to create the mental health assistant role. They told me I was the ideal candidate, someone young and hip enough to speak the Internet language of the DSP community, someone well-versed in the park itself, and someone with a psychology background, however meager that may be. In the two weeks preceding my job offer, four suicides happened in the park. Kelvin Goodwin took his fistful of pills, then got on the Star Tours ride died in the middle of it. Clifton Hedges, pretended to fasten his seatbelt on the Guardians of the Galaxy Tower ride, finagled his way off the elevator near the top and jumped 200 feet down the elevator shaft, dying instantly upon hitting the top of the ascending elevator cabin. Patrick Rahill climbed off a Pirates of the Caribbean boat and hid in the Pirates' lair scene. He slit his throat and bled out. He wasn't found until the next morning. Jenny Davies scored an overnight stay in the highly coveted Princess Castle, only to jump to her death in the middle of the night. And I bet you've heard of none of these. They're not in the news. They're not on the list of incidents at Disneyland Park Wikipedia page. They're not on YouTube. They're nowhere. That's the power of Disney PR at work. I'd like to think Disney wants the trend to stop out of the goodness of their hearts, but let's be real. It's all about the bottom line. If the witnessing patrons or the victims' families talk too much, despite the non-disclosure agreements and cash settlements, it can have a lasting effect on park visits. A $168 billion company can keep a lot of people quiet, but how many? In my first couple of days on the job, I generated a fake online persona for Dave Carrot, a name I thought of while driving past a Wendy's, founded by Dave Thomas. And then, looking down at my coffee cup, lid imprinted with Carrot, creating accounts on Facebook and a few others. Once it was believable enough, I applied for the Disneyland Suicide Packs online community, appropriately named the Mosk Tears. I was accepted a day later. Just to be clear, you don't have to make the suicide pact in order to join the Mosk Tears. Anyone can join after a light vetting. Once you're ready to join the pact, you undergo a heavy vetting, something that Dave Carrot probably wouldn't pass, and are awarded a Mickey Mouse badge that accompanies your username on the site. After being accepted, I began clicking on all the usernames with the Mickey Mouse badge, trying to determine who the next victim may be. I quickly flagged four users as short-term risks, those that talked seriously about suicide in the park and appeared to be planning a trip, but one stood out above the rest. Her username was beast. Her profile picture showed a gentle girl with long blonde hair, probably 16 or 17 years old. She was very forthcoming about her life, detailing her reasons for suicide and why Disneyland is the ultimate venue. She mentioned the nostalgia of Haunted Mansion on three different occasions. I saw her and others talking extensively about Death Day a couple weeks earlier. Upon a bit more investigation, I discovered that Death Day referred to December 15th, the day Walt Disney died. December 15th was only a few days away. Beauty or Beast mentioned that her family was planning a trip to California during the week of December 15th, and that she may, in fact, be in the park on Death Day. Someone suggested that perhaps the stars have aligned for her. I private messaged her, asking what her plans were, saying that I may be in the park for death day. She messaged back quickly and said she wasn't sure that she didn't want to ruin the day for her family. My heart broke. I asked if she'd do it in Haunted Mansion. She said she didn't know. Of course she did know. That and so much more. She told me her plan was to push for her family to go to the park on December 14th. Then she'd say she's meeting a friend and ditch her family just before park closing. Really, she'd hide in the park overnight, something that's much easier than people think, then kill herself right before park opening on death day. I knew that the online community was a toxic place for her, that if I could talk to her in person, I could help her. I told her to message me when she knew what her plans uh, were and that uh, I might be there. She told me that she would. She said her name was Shay Kane. On the morning of December 14th, I messaged Shay to see what time she was getting to the park. She didn't respond. She had changed her profile pic to a photo of Walt Disney with blacked-out eyes. I spent most of the day standing in the security control room watching the turnstile camera feeds. It's common for at-risk kids to change their appearance shortly before committing suicide, especially girls, so she must have slipped through unnoticed because I never saw her come in. I messaged her a few more times, telling her I was in town and that we should meet up or even meet in the park somewhere. She never responded. Before I went home that night... I showed Shay's picture to the overnight security staff and let them know to keep an eye out. I hardly slept that night. The next morning, I headed to the park at 7 a.m., two hours before open. I gave printouts of Shay's picture to the morning security team, then walked to Haunted Mansion. Disney's very thorough in their security camera coverage of areas where patrons are, but not much behind the scenes. Disney-speak for employee-only areas. That meant that I had to physically inspect every room of Haunted Mansion. After a fruitless hour of walking through eerily empty ride, I continued my search through the rest of New Orleans Square, then Frontierland. Nothing. About 20 minutes before park opening, I got a call from the security staff. They saw a fence similar to the picture I gave them walking around the backside of Haunted Mansion. I rushed to the back side. I barged into the employee side entrance, immediately started calling Shay's name. This was only a couple of minutes before park opening, so the ride was now running, music and sound effects and all. I moved through the haunted graveyard, the seance scene, the beheaded groom scene, all the while yelling, Shay, at the top of my lungs. I felt defeated. There were a million places she could have been hiding. Finally, I made it to the dining room scene. The ride moves along the mezzanine level of a two-story dining room. The scenes feature a large, elegant dining table with gold place settings, all caked in cobwebs and dust. There's a tall fireplace, floral wall moldings, high-backed chairs, and ornamental windows. Holograms, ghosts dance around the room. Finally, I found her. She was standing on the mezzanine level, but over the railing about 15 feet from the tracks. She was holding a rope in her hands. Her hair was cut short. Shay, I climbed the railway and shimmied across the decorative mezzanine. I was worried the whole thing would collapse, since it was built for show, not to support actual people. She looked up to me. She'd been crying. Who are you? ''I'm rich,'' I said. ''What are you doing here?'' ''Can we talk?'' She held the rope up for me to see. Her eyes followed it to where it was tied around a fire riser behind us. I sat down next to her. ''Tell me what's going on,'' I said. We sat in silence for about two minutes. I watched the ride cars roll by. Grim, grinning ghosts have come out to socialize playing in the background. They hadn't let people on the ride yet, which was a good thing. Eventually, she warmed up to me and began talking. She opened up about everything going on at school, at home, in her head. It became clear that she didn't want to kill herself. She had thought about it, a lot. But when she became a part of the Disneyland Suicide Pack community and heard all the talk about Death Day, what happened to coincide with a planned family trip. She felt that it was her time. After about 20 minutes of talking, she paused and looked down. There's something else. She said, You can tell me anything. I'm not the only one. The only one? What? Death day. I'm not the only one that planned to kill myself on death day. A pit in my stomach grew. The room began spinning around me. I started thinking about my research into all those on the forums that had talked about Death Day. Ah, about how Shay was the only one that was for sure going to be in the park that day. Who else? No oh God. She said and brought her hands up to her face. Rich, I was supposed to be a distraction. A distraction from what? My mind was racing a thousand miles an hour. She began sobbing. It's a small world. Shit! I stood up, not knowing if she was making it up to get me away, or if she truly was a distraction. Come with me, I said. I'm fine. You go, she said. I pursed my lips, then buzzed medical on my walkie-talkie. I told them Shea's location inside Haunted Mansion. They were already waiting out back. I also told them to send a team to It's a Small World, that we might have a situation there. I climbed over the railing and ran through the side to the ride on the front entrance where hordes of antsy people were waiting for the ride to open. I ran past them, setting off a chain of whispers amongst the crowd. "'What's he doing? Who's that guy? Did you see his face?' I called RIDE Operations and told them to close It's a Small World, that we might have a suicide attempt, potentially multiple. They said that they hadn't opened yet anyway, due to a mechanical issue, but that they would keep it closed until the situation had been cleared. The park had only been open for a few minutes, and it was already crawling with people. I began running across the park when I got a call. Small World didn't get my shutdown order in time, THE RIDE OPENED FOR A FEW MINUTES AFTER OUR CALL. SHIT! WHAT HAPPENED? YOU BETTER HEAD OVER THERE. I CONTINUED RUNNING, AND WAS SOON JOINED BY MEDICAL TEAMS IN YELLOW JACKETS, ALSO RUNNING TOWARD THE RIDE. ONE OF THE PARK AMBULANCES DROVE BY, BEWILDERED GUESTS JUMPING OUT OF THE WAY, AS I GOT CLOSER TO THE ENTRANCE OF THE RIDE THE REAL HORROR BEGAN. PEOPLE, MEN, WOMEN, CHILDREN, WERE CRYING. Many hysterically. One woman stumbled out of It's a Small World's emergency exit and threw up violently into the hedges. I heard screams from inside. I stopped one of the medical staffers running out of the emergency exit. What the hell? It's bad. It's really bad. I pulled my employee badge out of my shirt so that it was visible. Park guests in line began stopping me. Sir, do do you know what's happening? I ignored everyone, hopping the fence and beelining for the emergency exit near the entrance. People were still climbing out of boats following the emergency lighting to the exit. One of the ride operators came on the loudspeaker. Please calmly exit the boats where it's safe and follow the arrows to the nearest emergency exit. Ride operators will assist those who need help. Parents, please shield your children's eyes through the Scandinavian exhibit. Parents, carrying children, filed past me along the emergency path. Keep your eyes closed, sweetheart. We're almost there. What were those people? Why was everyone screaming like that? Are those people hurt? The pit grew in my stomach as I moved through the North Pole exhibit and into the Scandinavian room. Then I began to smell it the overwhelming stench of vomit. I started to notice vomit track through smeared footprints along the walkway. For a moment, the music kicked back on and the ride began to move again. Although it appeared that everyone had been successfully evacuated, the music startled everyone. "'It's a world of wonder, a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears.'" I turned the corner and immediately felt my stomach turn violently. About ten bodies dangled from the ceiling spread throughout the exhibit. Beneath the bodies, all with bulging eyeballs and kinked necks, the model Scandinavian children swayed back and forth in their white snowsuits. There's so much that we share that it's time we're aware medical staff scrambled around, trying desperately to reach the bodies, gently swinging about ten feet off the ground. We have to get to the ceiling. To the ceiling! Go! I couldn't bear the sight any longer. The pressure in my face intensified until the tears began streaming down my face. Hot tears. Tears of death. Of loss. Of failure. Tears of the hundreds of friends and family members that would be impacted by these suicides. I climbed back through the emergency exit, through the North Pole exhibit, and into the sunlight. I caught a whiff of vomit and felt the churning in my stomach pick up again. I ducked behind one of the hedges and vomited. Are you okay, sir? One of the guests waiting in line asked. I looked at him. Go find another ride. I radioed the medical office asking if they knew if Shea made it out of the haunted mansion safely. I began walking that direction while I waited to get an answer. Eventually, they came back on. Shea appears to have left. I was shocked. Like they let her go? No, she made it back to the medical office, then slept out before she was evaluated. I began running to the medical office near the front of the park. The closer I got to the front gates, the more chaotic it got. Crowds of families were running for the exits. The customer service lines were packed 50 people deep, guests demanding refunds, I imagined. Disney is great at covering up incidents in isolation, but when 10 people commit suicide on one of the busiest rides right at opening, that's hard to recover from. The medical office was nearly empty since the suicide victims had all been taken by ambulance to various hospitals in the Anaheim area. I took a deep breath and looked around. So eerily empty. So void of life. I walked out the back door of the medical office and looked around. I wondered if pandemonium had spread to the entire park or only to those that had seen the ambulances and medical staff running around, and those that saw the direct aftermath of the suicides, of course. I walked along the service road behind Disney City Hall, looking through the fence into the thick brush that lays just beyond park boundaries. There stood Shay. She stood, about twenty feet behind the fence, amongst the trees and bushes. She saw me and took a step forward. I opened my mouth to speak, then realized I had no idea what to say. She smiled, turned around, "'and disappeared into the brush. "'Out of everything I saw that day, "'Shea's smile is what I think about most often. "'Was it one of gratitude, "'a smile that said, "'You saved my life? "'Or was it sinister, "'a smile that said, "'I played you for a fool?' "'She told me her job was to serve as a distraction.' Whether she was planning on killing herself that day or not, she succeeded.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs I hope
1: you enjoyed the Disneyland Suicide Pack by Derek Walker, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another unnerving Disney-themed tale for you, from author Alex Sorrow, that will make you think twice before sharing a whimsical photo-op with masked strangers. Before I proceed to transfer the heebie-jeebies to you, though, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Shutter the only video streaming service for horror fans like you and I, and a special offer they've got for those of you listening in tonight. AMC Network's Shudder is a premium streaming video service, super-serving fans of all degrees with the best selection of horror and thrillers. Shudder's irrepressible and thriving community revels in all things provocative, evocative, and dangerous. From bantering with Shudder on social media and contributing fantastic, irreverent reviews to relishing in members-only perks such as exclusive releases and VIP movie screenings, Shudder believes there is safety in numbers. Don't be left in the dark alone. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for just $5.99 per month or save yourself nearly $15 and sign up annually for only $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. Think of it as the Netflix of horror. You can count on Shudder.com to keep you guessing with the unexpected. Each and every week, new edge-of-your-seat suspense, spine-tingling thrillers, and shocking horrors are added to their already formidable library. And Shudder is uncluttered, too. After signing up, you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including iPhone and iPad, Apple TV, Android devices, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and for our gamers out there, the Xbox One. So, no matter what your device of choice may be, There's no need to go without your fix of the frightening. Shudder's got your back. And best of all, Shudder's content is unparalleled in the genre. With their unique collection of exclusive and original films and series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits, you'll never run out of nightmare fuel. We hear it Scary Stories Told in the Dark, we've been signed up with Shudder for months now, and I can't believe what we were missing out on. Collections like classic slashers take me back to the glory days of suspense. And if you're in the mood for some femme fatales, the Vengeance is Hers set will make certain you'll never underestimate a woman's penchant for mayhem again. And of course, there are horror comedies too, so you can enjoy a good laugh at someone else's expense. (laughs) Yeah... My team and I love the classics, so that alone was worth the price of admission for us. Once you add in all of the vast selection of new content and their extensive exclusive library, none of which you'll find on Netflix, there's no reason to ever look anywhere else for our horror film fix. The exclusives they have, and are always adding, are absolutely incredible. The new Shudder original, Deadwax, is available now, as is their original documentary Horror Noir, as well as Lizzie and Mandy, starring Nicolas Cage. And, of course, let's not forget Puppet Master. The littlest Reich, which your nostalgia-loving self won't find anywhere else either. And all of this is just the tip of the blood-soaked iceberg. There's so much more looking inside, just waiting to be discovered. Best of all... Shutter's always got something amazing to look forward to. On June 6th, just recently, their brand-new exclusive film, Boar, went live, and you can check it out now, included with your membership. And last month, two other originals, The Night Shifter and The Ranger, landed on the network. You won't want to miss any of them, and you don't have to when you sign up today. All of this, and much, much more... Is available at your fear-loving fingertips for just five dollars ninety-nine cents a month, and this month, as a listener of my program, you can get thirty days of Shutter totally free by using promo code TOLD. That's right. To try Shutter free for thirty days, go to shutter.com. That's S H U D D E R dot com, and use promo code TOLD to let them know that Otis gyrie and Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S H U D D E R dot com, and promo code TOLD. That promo code lets the kind folks at Shudder know that Otis and the team at the Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Shudder a try this month. What have you got to lose, except for maybe some sleep? (laughs) I need sleep anyway. (laughs) Well, now that we've delivered you a fuel tank of nightmare fuel, courtesy of Shudder, allow me to rekindle the digital campfire of my own design with a frightening tale. Our second story today comes to us from Alex Sorrow, and it asks the question, Have you ever wondered who's beneath the suits at the amusement park you've been to? Without further ado, I present to you the costume. On November 24th, 2005, there was a disturbing occurrence at Disneyland. It was an average day at the Wonder filled Amusement Park. Families were scattered throughout the park. The excited squeals of children rang out over the crowds, and Disney mascots wandered around and posed for pictures. Suddenly, the magic of Disneyland was shattered as a frantic call ran out over the crowd. "'James! Where are you? James! James!' A mother was running around Main Street calling out her son's name. Other mothers pulled their children closer to them as the woman ran around, her voice quickly growing from panic to horrible desperation. Tears began to flow down her face. Park security showed up and looked around. An announcement was made over the intercom to look for James with a description of what he was wearing. The boy wasn't found, and nobody volunteered any information. It was only a few hours later that something else happened. Ronnie! Ronnie! Where's Ronnie? The same horrible scenario all over again. A mother ran around shouting for her son and asking people if they'd seen him. She ran around with the boy's father chasing after her, begging her to calm down and trying to reassure her by telling her that they would find him. Another announcement was made about Ronnie. Nobody came forward with any information. After two kids had gone missing on the same day, something had to be done. Security in the park was tightened, placing security guards near almost every attraction in the park. Footage from surveillance cameras was reviewed, but nothing more than people buying sunglasses or Mickey Mouse walking with a few kids were seen. There was one security guard who reported that one kid had told him that he had seen Ronnie. The guard said he was standing outside one of the rides when a little boy walked up to him. The boy looked to be no more than six or seven years old. I know what happened to that boy, he told the guard. You do? The security guard didn't know what to think. The boy probably hadn't seen anything important, but it would probably be worth a listen. The boy nodded. I saw Ronnie. He was with Mickey Mouse, but Mickey was being mean to him. Mickey took Ronnie. Mickey, the guard said. He was confused. How could a child think that Mickey Mouse was taking the kids? The guard just assumed it was a pedophile or a kidnapper or something and knew that the kids would be found. Where did Mickey Mouse come into this? Yes. "'Mickey Mouse ate Ronnie. He ate that other boy, too.' The guard was speechless. He was trying to think of what to say when the boy's parents hurried over and pulled their child away, scolding him to be careful around the park and thanking the security guard for finding their son. And as fast as the boy had appeared, he was gone. The security guard knew he shouldn't have been too bothered about what the kid had said about Mickey, Yet, he couldn't seem to push the thought of it out of his mind. The security guard waited until his shift was over. But instead of leaving, he went to the security room where a bunch of monitors displayed video from the surveillance cameras. He asked the people working there to review the footage and look for Mickey Mouse around the time James had gone missing. The tapes were rewound, and scenes from earlier that day were replayed on the monitors. The guard's eyes darted from one screen to the next until he finally noticed something. He told the man to pause the video. Everybody in the room focused on the monitor, even though there wasn't much to see. Mickey Mouse and a small child were walking toward a maintenance room door in what seemed to be Tomorrowland near the Space Mountain. The child seemed confused, maybe a little scared. The guard decided to check it out before he went home. He couldn't forget that one boy's solemn expression or what he had said about Mickey Mouse. Just in case something happened, he took his radio and keys. The guard walked over to Tomorrowland and found himself by the Space Mountain. There was a rusty maintenance door off to the side of the attraction, nearly hidden behind a few trash cans. He pushed the trash cans to the side and tried to open the door only to find it was locked. The guard pulled out his keys and tried to find one to open it. Finally, he managed to get the door open with a maintenance key. Inside, it turned out the maintenance room led to an old maintenance tunnel. The lights were off. The guard tried the light switch near the door, but the room remained in darkness. The vague echo of a rat scampering across the room was heard, but the guard could not see it. He hadn't thought to bring his flashlight. Suddenly, the guard gasped. His hand flew up to his nose. God, what was that horrible smell? It smelled like poisoned mushrooms or rotting meat infested with maggots. He tried not to breathe, but the smell was already in his nose. The guard tried not to let it sink onto his tongue as he stepped further into the room. The only source of light was the door, which he left wide open. He hoped the smell didn't get out so the guests could smell it. The guard assumed the maintenance tunnel went under Space Mountain but in front of him was a dark, inky blackness. He squinted, and had to hope for his eyes to adjust to the dark. For now, he could make out vague silhouettes and shapes. He began to walk into the tunnel, visibility decreasing with every footstep. His footsteps echoed off the walls, seeming to pound on the concrete floor. The guard suddenly stopped walking, a few feet away from a brick wall. He assumed he had just come to a turn. He looked left and saw nothing. He looked right and saw a small flickering light. He decided to go toward the light and kept his hand on the wall so he wouldn't get lost. The smell seemed to be growing worse. After a short walk, he reached the light, which was actually coming from a small crack underneath a metal door. The door was rusted and bent, and the guard knew it wouldn't take much to rip it off its hinges. The security guard found the doorknob and gently opened it. The door squeaked as it came open. The smell seemed to explode out of the room, eager to get out. The guard tried to not violently puke at the terrible aroma and looked inside the brightly lit room. His eyes needed a moment to adjust to the sudden light, and when they finally did, the guard gasped in horror. Children! Littered the room. Almost all the ones that had gone missing in the park over the years. He recognized James and Ronnie laying on the ground with the other ones. No, they weren't just laying on the ground. The guard realized the children were dead. He gasped again and took a step back. Some of the kids had arms and legs missing. Each one had their eyes removed, leaving bloody holes in their faces instead. Thick slices were over some of the bodies, as though something with claws had got to them. Something in the room moved. The guard tore his eyes away from the children on the floor, and he saw the most unreal thing staring at him. A giant Mickey Mouse stood in the room, observing the guard with wide eyes. Something was inside a Mickey Mouse costume and everything came together in the guard's mind. It would be easy for Mickey Mouse to lure kids away and not draw any attention. But now that same Mickey Mouse was staring at him. They had a silent staring contest for a few quiet moments, but then the costume's arm came up to a point at the guard. A thick screech came from inside the mascot's head, and the mouse moved toward the guard. The security guard turned and ran for his life. The heavy footsteps of the costume behind him alerted him to the fact that Mickey Mouse was chasing him down the long, dark tunnel. The guard ran faster than he had ever run before, just knowing that death was directly behind him, close enough to stab him with a claw, close enough to wrap its arms around him, and drag him back into that room. And then the guard was outside. He stopped running and blinked a few times to clear his vision. The sunlight felt warm and reassuring to him, but when he looked back at the maintenance room, he knew that the sunlight had stopped the thing in the costume. Maybe that's why it wore the costume, to protect itself from the sunlight, but it would not chase the guard anymore. He had gotten away. The security guard reached back inside the maintenance room, groped for the doorknob so he could slam the door shut and make sure the thing didn't get out. He expected to feel Mickey's hand seize his and pull him in, but nothing happened. The guard slammed the door shut and sighed deeply. He was safe. The guard ran halfway across the park back to the security room. He told the other security guards that he had found something in the maintenance room, told them to follow him and take their guns, which were only to be used in a dire emergency. When asked to explain, he said he had found the kids before he turned and began hurrying back to the maintenance tunnel. A large group of guards entered the tunnel and found the kids, all scattered on the cold concrete floor. A blood covered Mickey Mouse costume also lay on the ground in the room, right next to the kids, as though he'd always been there. The security guard was the only one to look back into the dark tunnel, while the others were still looking at the kids. He was the only one to see a small pair of dark eyes in the tunnel blink once before vanishing into the darkness. Whatever it was, it wasn't human. The guard turned back into the room and saw blood smeared all over the wall. The other guards were silent, all eyes fixated on the blood. It had been used to spell out a simple three-word message on the wall. Still among you. The maintenance tunnel was destroyed, the door buried behind a concrete wall. Space Mountain was closed for a few days while it was searched, and the security guard quit. To this day, children still squeal in excitement and hurry over whenever they see Mickey Mouse. Photo albums are being filled with pictures of the iconic mouse. And Nobody ever knows for sure who's under that costume, or what's under it. I hope you enjoyed The Costume by Alex Sorrow as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from an author who prefers to remain anonymous. This one about the reasons why one of Disney's lesser-known parks shut its doors nearly two decades ago. Only the truth might be just more grisly than what you've been told. I present to you the River Country Film. It had been three years since my family had last gone on a vacation to Florida, something we did annually before the recession hit. Since we now had enough money, my parents decided, under the popular demand of my sister and I, that we go to Walt Disney World again. We were both teenagers, and our parents kind of saw this as a bit juvenile, but decided it would be fun anyway. I could not wait to finally go back, and neither could my sister. Being avid theme park goers as well, we were especially attracted to the creativity and the, well, magic, as one would say, about the rides there. They never got old, and had their share of nostalgia and excitement. However, there was one other reason I wanted to go. You normally associate Disney World with words such as excitement, fun, and happiness. But with these characterizations come counterbalances. After scrolling through OMG Facts one night, I came across a rather interesting fact. It was about an abandoned water park in WDW, apparently named River Country. I was absolutely appalled by this, since I had previously thought of Disney in a more idealistic and perfect way. The water park was directly on the shores of Bay Lake, being that huge, stagnant body of water adjacent to the Magic Kingdom. River Country was, and still is, on the same side as the theme park just mentioned, but right next to a resort called Walt Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort. Surrounding the water park on the resort side is a large green wall with signs dotting it. The place opened in 1976 and used water from Bay Lake in most of the park's attractions. It was very rustic and wilderness-based in design, and contained artificial rocks that resembled those used on another attraction, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. There was a dam present to keep chunks of dirt and mud from getting into the water, too, so guests didn't have to worry about swimming in an artificial bog created by water from the lake. It was open for 25 years, closing its doors in 2001, and in 2005, a statement released by Disney said the park would be closed for good. So, for about 11 years, River Country had been sitting abandoned. Nature is in its advanced stages of reclaiming the area, but the slides remain, and so do the artificial rocks, and the small pond, now a swamp, that was used for swimming. Many urban explorers have infiltrated the area, jumping over the walls to get footage of the abandoned water park. One of the most controversial things about the park nowadays is why it closed, which is what I was destined to find out. I wanted to see some real footage of the area before it closed as well, since, from what I heard, it was very joyous and bustling with tourists, compared to its ghost town status today. I was without internet at the time, so about two days before we were planning to leave, I went to the local library, which archived many old videos that people in my community had dug up in their attics and donated to the library to be part of a small historical society. Hoping that I might find some good footage, I asked the librarian if they happened to carry any videos concerning family vacations. She nodded and brought me to a small section containing many old VCR cassettes and a few DVDs here and there. After about a half hour of searching, I finally came across a cassette with the words The Old Fashioned Swimming Hole inscribed on the top of it. This was a term used to describe river country "'During its glory days, so I took it, almost certain that it was the footage I was looking for. "'I asked the librarian if I could sign it up, but she told me that historical videos had to stay in the library. "'I could, however, watch the video in a small conference room behind the front desk. "'The librarian led me into a windowless room, and I took a seat in front of the television.' She left the room and closed the door so that the audio would not disturb any of the other library patrons. I popped the cassette into the VCR under the TV and turned the lights off so I could see the video better. I was expecting the quality to be low anyway. For about a half a minute or so, the screen was gray and was accompanied by a loud beeping noise, typical for old VCR cassettes. The gray soon disappeared showing footage of two individuals in front of the entrance to River Country. They were both men, and it was either very late at night or very early in the morning as nobody else was in the park. Very few of the water park's lights were on either. On the bottom left corner of the screen, the date, November 1, 2001, was displayed. This was significant because the water park closed for good the very next day, on November 2nd. The two men were talking about how they had been denied entrance to the park in the morning since it had reached its guest capacity limit. They also stated that at only these hours at night could they get past the park's security. The two walked up to the bigger water slides in the park, which led directly into the pond supplied by the green water of Bay Lake. Once they both got to the top of the slide, which was encircled by artificial orange rocks, one man prepared to slide down. The two laughed over what seemed to be an inside joke, and finally the cameraman ended up pushing his friend down. I heard him scream in delight as he descended to the pond. The cameraman then proceeded back the way they came to get to the slides and across a bridge that traversed the small lagoon. He ended up back at the pond's shore, where the sound of a splash was heard. This is when the video started to unsettle me a little. After waiting at the shore of the pond for about three minutes, nobody surfaced. The cameraman began to cry his friend's name frantically and started to run back to get help at the Fort Wilderness Resort. He stopped abruptly, though, at what seemed to be the kiddie area, a small, shallow pond, on hearing a faint cough. He instantly turned around and saw a barely visible shadow about Ten feet or so behind him. "'Relieved, the cameraman started to approach his friend, "'glad that he was okay, but again he abruptly halted. "'The friend's head was hanging down, "'and he slowly inched it up. "'The cameraman started to hyperventilate "'as the features of the other man's face began to show. "'Crimson, dry blood was caked around his mouth, "'and some was even dripping off his chin. "'He was missing all the hair on his head as well, but one of the most disturbing parts of this image was that there were patches of skin missing that revealed parts of the man's skull and jawbone, and he was even missing his right eye, leaving an empty socket. I became severely nauseous at the sight of this, to the point where I was swallowing my own vomit. My heart also began to race as fear started to settle in my body. As the last minutes of the film approached the horrendous figure muttered something, something that sounded like, "'There's no hope under the water.' And with that, the cameraman ran for his life, wheezing and panicking throughout his ordeal. I wanted to turn the television off and run myself, so I bolted to the door leading out of the room. I reached for the doorknob, but paused. The television was giving off the sound of an old furnace found in the basement of a home, just in a softer tone. This tone, for some unknown reason, kept me from moving anywhere. I was just staring blankly at the television. The cameraman was still sprinting, but did not seem to be making any progress. He had ended up back at the large pond where the slide had dumped his friend. You could hear him sobbing softly, fearing for his life. Suddenly, the tape began to gradually slow down, as the man frantically looked from side to side. The audio volume, along with the furnace sound, went up as the video lagged. Haltingly, the cameraman turned all the way around and shrieked at the sight of his old friend. The video paused on this frame, exposing the caked blood all over the other man's face, The top of his skull bone was now completely exposed, his right eye still missing. His mouth was wide open, and coming from it was what looked like a combination of the water from Bay Lake and Bile. This stayed on the screen for about ten seconds and switched to a black screen, displaying one single message. The epidemic begins today. Instantly, the power went out, and I was left alone in the darkness of the conference room. I became so terrified as I couldn't see a thing, and I couldn't see the door either. I began to shake in absolute fear. River Country had closed because of this, and it was obvious. Walt Disney World had been keeping a disgusting secret. I rushed to the other side of the room disoriented, but all I felt was warm breath seeping down my neck and the smell of bile. I hope you enjoyed the River Country film by an anonymous author, as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got another frightening bit of fiction from yet another anonymous author who purports to have worked as a guard at a Disney park. However, after witnessing some unspeakable things, he's seriously reconsidering his career options. Without further ado, I present to you why I'll never work security at Disney World again. I work in security at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. Typically, I wouldn't say where I work, as obviously there are some pretty strict rules about things employees can put online. But I just don't think I can tell this properly without that context. And honestly, I think this may be it for me anyway with this job. I just can't see myself working here any longer now. I've been with the company for 23 years, The first 20 years I worked in the parks, nabbing shoplifters and rounding up people who were drinking too much for the heat. Occasionally there'd be a fight to break up, but people usually kept it pretty mild. The heat and walking were getting too much for me the last few years, so I asked to be transferred somewhere with air conditioning, and the company moved me to one of their resorts. While the working conditions were 110% better... As far as climate and comfort go, the guest issues were trickier, mainly domestics. I guess the expense and stress of vacation got to a lot of people, and I'd be called by neighboring rooms because some mom and dad were yelling at each other. I'd try to suggest they take a nap or go to separate activities for a bit, and that would usually calm them down. But then... a. None of that is what I'm here for. i got to get this out while I have time. Three days ago, I got a call from management. Apparently, a couple of days before that, housekeeping had gone into a room that should have been turned over that day. Turned over is when one guest leaves by about 11 a.m., and the next guest checks in around 3 p.m. And all of the guest's items were still in the room. Housekeeping made a note of it and moved on, but during the next two days when they entered the room, everything was still there and untouched. I went to check it out, and sure enough, there was an empty room full of luggage, clothes, snacks, some toys, everything a family would need for a vacation. The manager had already looked up the previous reservation, and it was for a family, mom, dad, two little kids. I tried to call the phone numbers they'd given, but all I got was voicemail. We were a bit stumped, so I made the call that housekeeper could clean the room and take the family's personal items to be held until we got in contact with someone. I went digging into the reservation more. The family arrived five days before housekeeping, discovered all of their stuff. I found that the family had paid for a parking fee, and their vehicle described was listed quick walk of the parking lots and I had easily located their vehicle, so that ruled out a car accident or them deciding to just leave all their stuff behind. Next, I saw that they had bought a dining plan. This is when a guest prepays for all of their food. They're given a certain number of credits to use for meals. This family had only used three credits and the last one was two days after they checked in. It appeared that the day they arrived, they got here late and probably just stayed on the resort. The next day, they used two credits at Epcot. The second part day, they used just one credit at the Magic Kingdom, and it was at breakfast time. Now, at Disney, we have something called Magic Bands. Magic Bands are worn by the guests and act as a room key. Park ticket, credit card, dining and reservation payment, fast pass a system used to bypass lines, and more. It took some work, but I was finally able to look up this family's fast-pass history. Well, the day they went to the Magic Kingdom, they had breakfast at a restaurant in the park, rode a couple of rides, and then rode their last ride, It's a Small World, around 11 a.m. Then nothing. Finally, it was time to bring in someone else on this call. An old coal worker at the Magic Kingdom and I asked him to pull security footage for It's a Small World at the time they wrote it, and I made my way over there. When I got there, my friend was very confused, almost distraught-looking. He showed me what he found. There's usually a camera in the direction of where rides load and unload. The footage showed them scanning their bands to use fast passes for the ride and boarding the ride. Footage from the exit of the ride just showed the other people in their car exiting. They weren't there. Of course, we thought the worst. Maybe one of the kids had fallen out Mom and Dad, and the other kid got off in the middle of the ride to help, and they all got injured or killed or stuck in machinery somewhere. So we shut the ride down. Middle of the damn day. Turned off that earworm music and turned up the lights. My buddy and I walked the ride three times before we called in help. Eventually, there was close to ten cast members searching, and we didn't find shit except for three cell phones and a hat. I was right stumped. I kept digging the past couple of days, and I'm not sure who to tell what I found next to. I've called the police, and I suppose they're on the way, but the company has a way of covering up things like this, and I decided I can't live with myself if I don't put out some type of warning. I kept digging into their reservation over the last couple of days, and today I noticed they had purchased Memory Maker. There are photographers all over the parks and cameras in a lot of the rides, and with Memory Maker, the photos are all free. They automatically get added to a guest's Disney account when the system knows their picture has been taken. And the system always knows. Everyone's whereabouts are always known with the magic bands. Well, I opened up their Memory Maker photo album, and I swear, there are 732 pictures. The first 30 or so are pretty normal. Epcot, a few rides in front of the castle. But the rest, the rest are all in. It's a small world. The rides only take one picture per go-round, so it appears as though this family has ridden this ride over 700 times. The first picture was pretty normal. Everyone looked happy. It was a busy day, and we had a full car of guests. The next one is rough to look at. The car is empty, except for this little family, and they look so darn confused. The next 10 to 15, I can see Dad getting angry, yelling, Mom is holding on to her two kids like her life depends on it, and you can see the kids getting increasingly upset, crying. And it goes on, and on, and on. After 50 or so, it looks like they're trying to get out. In one, the dad is missing. In another, they're all gone. Maybe like they've bailed early in the ride and tried to walk out, but in the very next one, they're all right back in that damn car. After around 400 or 50 or so, I only see the mom and kids. It's just when I look closely, I can see Dad, maybe just his body now, slumped down in one of the other seats. Since about 675, there's just mom and one kid. Another body in another seat. The mom and kid aren't moving anymore. I think they're still alive just damn near catatonic, looking straight ahead, pale. And y'all, I swear on my life, the dolls are moving or something. In some of these pictures, I can tell they weren't where they should be. I even saw one with a doll in the car with his family. I can't look anymore or I'm going to lose my lunch. I closed the album. Its file size has increased since I closed it. God. Are there new pictures being added? I see on security cameras that the local police department just arrived, so they'll take over soon. I wish I knew what was going on, but I also wish this damn thing had never landed in my lap. I don't think I'll be able to update this. After I talk to the police, I think I'm going to walk out of here and never come back. I just wanted to get this out there before Disney feeds the media some lies to cover up the reasons behind why a whole family vanished. Because they didn't vanish. I know exactly where they are. I hope you enjoyed why I'll never work security at Disney World again. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me tonight for this special Disney-themed episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. As a reminder, all of tonight's tales, well, they're wholly fictional and presented strictly for entertainment purposes. Nothing in the tales should be interpreted as having really happened. It's just a lot of fun imagining. In reality, Disney and their parks are great fun for kids and adults alike, and though they're not totally free of everyday dangers, what is these days? There's a 99% chance you won't be murdered by rogue robots or left to die on a theme park ride while on vacation there. Well, then again, someone's got to be that 1%, right? I was <laughs> oh, just kidding. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other podcasts and episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can purchase Seasons Passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube... You can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel where you'll find releases of my series Horror Storytime dating back to 2014. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. I'm there, trust me. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, AMC Network's Shudder, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 30 days of Shudder totally free by using promo code TOLD. That's right. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com. That's Shudder.com. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R rcom and use promo code TOLD to let them know that Otis and the team at Scary Stories Told in the Dark sent you. Simple as that. Once again, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot and promo code TOLD. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> But that's alright. Who needs sleep anyway? (laughs)